this morning because it's the first Sunday of Advent, I am going to be beginning a new series, a new series that's based on something that may be familiar as a passage from Scripture. Because this time of year, I mean, it's the time of year when you start receiving, sending and receiving Christmas cards. And I would trust that at least some of the cards that you receive have Bible verses quoted in them. And around this time of year, one of those often quoted verses comes from Isaiah chapter 9. So I'm going to be beginning a series that works on one of those verses and then tries to expand upon that. A series that looks at what it means for God to be wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And it comes from that passage from Isaiah 9, where if you've received Christmas cards that have something of this passage in it, or maybe around Christmas time you see, uh, you know, decorative wall hangings or decorations that will say parts of this verse from Isaiah 9. For, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. I want to bring that before us as a series for Advent because I mean, it sounds poetic, doesn't it? We, we read it on cards and we see it on decorations and we sort of run through that passage around Christmas time, but how much time do we spend ever thinking about or, or figuring out what it really means for the Messiah to be that? A wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And, and in particular, I am wondering, what does Isaiah have in mind when he writes this? I don't think Isaiah wrote this down thinking to himself, you know what, someday this is going to look great on a Christmas card. I'm just going to write this one down. I don't think that's what Isaiah had in mind. He had something else in mind. So let's spend the next few weeks thinking that one over, looking at other parts of Isaiah. I'm not going to go outside of the book of Isaiah, but other parts of Isaiah that will help give us a little bit of insight into what this means for the Messiah to carry these names, these titles. And then ultimately, ultimately what that means for us then is, what does that mean for us? What does it mean to us that we have a Messiah, a Savior, who is known by these names? What difference does that make for our lives that we live as we approach Christmas in the season of Advent? All right, so that's what we're up to in this series. So today, looking particularly at that first title, Wonderful Counselor. What does it mean for us to have a Messiah who is a wonderful counselor? And to do that, I'm going to take us to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah 11, which has a little something to say about what it means for Jesus to be that wonderful counselor. So, Isaiah 11, and I'm going to be reading the opening verses through verse 10. Before I do that, let's pray together. God, as we open your word here today, we recognize that this is your word for our lives. And even though it's a word that we often see and hear on Christmas cards and in Christmas decorations, it's your word. So speak it to our hearts today. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, Isaiah 11, the first 10 verses. 
A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor. He will strike the earth with a rod of his mouth and break and with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like an ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. And the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him. And his resting place will be glorious. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I'm going to work through this passage a bit and not, not in a true expository style where I'm going to go verse by verse, but I will take it in sections and bounce around a little bit. So if you, it's, I know it's printed in your bulletin too, but I will put parts of that passage back up on the screen as we work through that as well. Considering what it means for our Messiah to be a wonderful counselor. I'm not sure what the word counselor brings to mind for you. I mean, it, it's, it's an English word that carries other meanings for us that maybe don't always align with what the prophet Isaiah had in mind. So what comes to mind when you think of counselor? What does it mean that the Christ, the Messiah, is a counselor? I mean, one of the uses that we have for that in our world today, at least in the English language, is, is that we refer to a counselor as someone who focuses on psychological mental health. Right? In, in a day where we give increasing attention to the need and the importance of mental health, there are people who go to see a counselor, who seek counseling. That's one of the ways that we use that word, counselor. Is that what Isaiah has in mind, though? That, that he's framing the Messiah as sort of a spiritual therapist in that sense? Because it's an English word that carries our meaning. Or, or maybe if you're a student in school, right? At school you have a guidance counselor. The counseling, the, the academic counseling that you have at school, where that's sort of a different thing, isn't it? The guidance counselor at school is someone who more gives the planning of schedules, right? Sort of plots out for you. Here's where your education will go and the steps that you take to get there. And 
right? And so the school counselor can fill some of that role of maybe giving some advice and helping to plan some things. Is that what Isaiah has in mind? Is what the counselor of the Messiah does? You see what I'm saying, right? In English, we attach different meanings to these words. So I want to begin by really sort of framing what that word really is. Because, of course, Isaiah did not write in English. He wrote in Hebrew. And it's the Hebrew word yotz. And yotz, which is translated to English as counselor, it can be used in two different ways, as either a noun or a verb. So it's either something we give as a title to a person, or it's the action that a person does. Now, as a noun, then, when this word is used, it's something that means more of someone who gives advice, someone who, who gives counsel in that way. So someone who gives advice, and you find this in different places in the Old Testament where it shows up. For example, one of them we find in Exodus. In Exodus, when Moses takes God's people and they leave Egypt and they're in the wilderness and they don't get very far and people have all these needs that they come to Moses with again and again and again. And Moses, all by himself, single-handedly, is trying to solve all the problems of an entire nation of people. Along the way there, Moses has a father-in-law named Jethro who comes to visit And Jethro sees what's happening, and he says, Moses, I've got some advice for you, some counsel. It's practical, right? Jethro says, you can't, you'll wear yourself out trying to do this alone. You need to organize and have a plan for this and, you know, put elders in place so that there's a system around it. There's practical advice that happens. That's part of it, right? That that there is actually a practical piece to the advice that is given. Other places in the Old Testament, it's a word that's used to describe the wisdom literature, the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, where it comes not not so much necessarily as here's a plan, but it comes as wisdom. Advice that comes as wisdom to help us know the heart of God. All of that captures under this idea of what a counselor does. Not any one thing there, but sort of this broad spectrum. Someone who gives advice, shares wisdom. But it's also an action. It also comes to us as something that somebody does. And when the Bible uses this word as a verb, as action, now it carries something a little bit different. When someone counsels, What they do is they they make a plan. It's to plan or to judge or to decide. And that one expands our meaning just a little bit. Because, I mean, you, you almost think that there's a courtroom scene kind of going on here, which it is. Right? When, when this kind of verb is used in the Old Testament, it is used in sort of legal judgment kind of ways. But, you know what, you think about it in English. When you think of what we have in our system of law, of, of our courtroom system, who's the counsel, right? And when you think of courtroom, the counsel is usually referred to as, well, it's, it's the lawyers, but not here, right? In the Hebrew language, the counsel is the judge, the one who makes the decisions. So we have to expand our, our meaning in our heads just a little bit when we think about how Isaiah uses this word 
for counsel as it applies to the Messiah. That now it expands. It's not just the one who gives advice or the one who gives wisdom, but Isaiah is saying this is also a Messiah who makes decisions, who comes with judgment, who has the decision, the final say. That's something that maybe we lose when we think of that word just in our English language, isn't it? I don't know that. I've never really thought of Jesus as the counselor to be the same as Jesus as the judge. But Isaiah's getting at that. So let's figure out what that means, right? Let's dig into that a little bit. What does it mean that the Messiah is someone like that, a counselor who comes with decisions, with judgment? And here's where chapter 11 sort of breaks this one open for us to see a little bit, right? Because you see where Isaiah is developing this. I'll take it back towards the beginning where we see this in verse 2. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel, of might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. Understanding here that what Isaiah is pointing towards is a counselor, someone who judges, in particular here, with the spirit of the Lord, the anointing of the Lord, which means it comes with authority. This Messiah, the one that comes from God, is going to be one who makes decisions, but it's decisions that carry authority and judgments that carry authority. Isaiah is setting that up here, that God's Messiah will be someone like that. Now, I'm not sure Isaiah's audience would have been incredibly receptive to that with a lot of excitement. Someone who comes like that with judgment and authority, well, and it's because they've had sort of a rough spell with those who are in authority. So when Isaiah begins to talk about the Messiah and who the Messiah is as this sort of person who comes as someone who makes decisions and judgments and it carries the ultimate authority of the Lord with them. I can see where the original audience would have said, "Mm, I'm not so sure about that, Isaiah. We haven't had a real good experience with authoritarian leaders in the past. Isaiah is writing during a time when uh, the nation of Israel is essentially falling apart. Right? The, the northern kingdom is being attacked and pulled away into exile by Assyria. And it's not long before the southern kingdom of Judah, where Jerusalem is, is going to be attacked by Babylon and same thing comes upon them. Or for their own part, during the time of Isaiah, Israel had lived through some rather authoritarian kings of their own who did some pretty rotten things. They were rather corrupt. So for Isaiah to come and give a prophecy about a Messiah who has an authority from the Lord, 
I guess it makes sense to me that the original audience would have said, "Mm, I'm not so sure. That hasn't always worked out so well for us, Isaiah. So what's Isaiah going to do about that? Because the Messiah that Isaiah is talking about is different. It's not like all the other experiences they've had before. So that's where chapter 10 here takes over. Or chapter 11, sorry. Where chapter 11 takes over and and talks about the way in which this counselor is different from all the rest. You see, what Isaiah is doing here is he's trying to make a case. He's trying to make the argument for the people. But this one's different. The Messiah, the Christ, the one who's promised, is not like the other one. So what Isaiah is doing in this chapter then is he's describing, let me describe for you the way that the Christ, the Messiah, will be different. And in particular, the way that his decisions and his judgments will be different from what you have experienced before, right? That lays out what the passage is doing as we read through this. Look at that again and see, all right, now I get it. I get what Isaiah is up to. He sort of laid out for the people, yep, this Messiah is going to be a judge with authority and people, mm, I don't know, Isaiah. But then Isaiah, wait, 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 let me explain. And the passage goes on then. So, here's what he said first then in the verses that carried forward, beginning at verse 3. Describing here the way that the Messiah brings decisions and judgment. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness He will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips. He will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his his belt. And faithfulness, the sash around his waist. You see what Isaiah is doing here, right? He's given the argument now. It's though he's reading the room. He sees the reaction of the people when he says this about the Messiah. And he says, wait, 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 but listen to me. This will be different. Look at how this Messiah will be a different kind of counselor than any of the others that you've had before. Look at the qualifiers that he puts to this. Right, The qualities of the Messiah's judgments, the words that he uses there, righteousness, justice, faithfulness, things that the people were longing for. They so desperately wanted to see. And Isaiah says, this is who the Messiah is. And these will be the qualities of his decisions, his judgments. It will be evident to all who see it. They will all know what that looks like. There's some other detail that pulls into this. You know, there's only one name that's mentioned here specifically, a person that is mentioned specifically in this passage, and and it happens to be the bookends of the passage. 
the first verse that I read and the last verse that I read. The only name that shows up in this is Jesse, if you know who Jesse is. doesn't get a whole lot of time in Scripture to sort of be explained, but Jesse is the father of David. So Isaiah is talking about a wonderful counselor who's the Messiah. The Messiah, in the mind of the Israelites, the Messiah is going to be the one who comes like a king to lead his people. And when they think of kings in Israel, they think of the great kings that they've had. They go back and they think of people like David and Solomon. Right? These were the great kings that came from God. But even those kings anointed by God had their problems. And if you read Old Testament scripture, you know that. You know that David didn't always do things right. That David is caught committing a conspiracy of murder so that he can cover up his own affair. Solomon has the entire kingdom broken before him, even though he is credited with being the wisest king that Israel ever had. So even these two great kings, the, the sort of legends in their hall of fame, they had their problems, had their issues. Isaiah is doing something here. Because he knows that in the mind of the people of Israel, the Messiah comes in the line of the kings, in the line of who these kings were. And they've had some pretty rotten kings, but even their best kings didn't always measure up. So Isaiah is saying, in effect, this Messiah, the, the wonderful counselor, the one that we've been waiting for, is not just the next king in line. Not only the descendant of these kings, not only the descendant of David and Solomon, who would be considered the greatest kings they have, but, but by pointing to Jesse, by naming specifically Jesse, Isaiah is saying, you know what, this Messiah that's coming supersedes all the other kings, comes above them, goes before them, not just the next one in line, not just the next one in order, but go straight to the top. In that line, but above that line. One that supersedes all the rest. That's what Isaiah is setting up here for his people. Wants you to know that this counseling that's coming is going to be something unlike any of the other kings have ever showed us that has ever happened. So that's something about those judgments that come then. But then there's this other section, because now Isaiah flips into this story that describes this weird relationship between animals in the animal kingdom, right? It's, it's almost like he flips gears here, and, and now he's describing something totally different. In verse 6 and following, this is what he says. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together. The little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear and the young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like an ox. 
The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. All right, what's going on here? Now what is Isaiah doing? I mean, particularly as a description of the Messiah as counselor. What does this have to do with it in that sense? Uh, I will tell you that biblical commentators, biblical scholars don't all agree on the exact outcome of this passage because the question is there, uh, is this literal? Is Isaiah describing something that in the new heavens, in the new earth, will this actually be what we see? And some biblical scholars say, well, sure. Others say, you know what, it's figurative language. For my part, I would tell you this, I don't think it matters. Maybe it will, maybe it won't, but what difference does it make? The reason why I think it doesn't matter is because it's not Isaiah's point here in this passage to give us a zoology lesson of the new kingdom. That's not what he's trying to do. What is Isaiah trying to do in this passage? He's not so much concerned about how this is going to work, but why it works. Because in this passage, what Isaiah is doing here is he's describing a Messiah who brings about what looks like perfect harmony in the new creation. Right? He's using poetic words about the world around him that everyone can see, and he's describing what perfect harmony looks like in that new creation. And it's not Isaiah's point here to tell us exactly how that perfect harmony exists. It is his point to tell us why that perfect harmony exists. It will exist because of the Messiah. That's the point he's trying to make. It will be because of the Christ and what Christ does that brings about a perfect harmony within the new creation, whatever that happens to look like. And whatever it looks like is not so much the point as the reason why and the one who brings it about. That's what Isaiah is after. So when Israel in their history has had this history of kings, judges, counselors in the past who've not lived up to the standard, and in fact the judgments and the decisions that they have made have only led to their own destruction when it should have been something that leads to their flourishing, that they should have judgments and decisions that lead towards a perfect harmony of all of God's creation. This Messiah will do that, where all the others have failed, where they've all fallen short. The wonderful counselor will be the one who embodies what that perfect harmony of God's creation will look like, will be, will do for us, and how that comes to us. 
it's a piece where Jesus brings this when he comes. I don't know that Isaiah particularly had that in mind, that God revealed to Isaiah. I'm going to give you words that are going to predict Jesus. That Isaiah knew in his mind that this Messiah would do what Jesus came to do. I'm not sure about that. But God knew. God was fully aware of what he was setting up. Right? God knew the problem that the world was in. And God knew what was needed to fix that. And so this Messiah comes as one who makes decisions and judgment. But as we fast forward into this time of Advent, where we know the story of Jesus, the coming of Jesus, we know something of how that begins to play out. It begins to play out. Because Jesus does come as someone who makes decisions and comes as someone who brings judgment. But here's what we know about that story. We know that the judgment that Jesus comes with as the counselor is not just a judgment that Jesus pronounces. But it's a judgment that comes with action. Jesus comes with action in those judgments and in those decisions. And in particular, the action that Jesus comes with is Jesus comes with an action that says, I know a judgment is needed for the brokenness and sin of this world, and here's the judgment that Jesus says, I'll take it. I'll take it on myself. I'll take care of it. That Jesus comes and is the one who makes a decision, right? And the decision that Jesus makes is this. The decision Jesus makes is these people in the world can't fix this on their own, so I'm going to take it. That's the decision. That's the judgment. That all the sin and all the brokenness and everything that tears us apart as people, that God made a decision. God made a judgment. And Jesus said, I'm going to fix that by taking it. I will take all of that sin. I will take all of that brokenness. I will take everything that's required to make that right. And Jesus takes that on himself and he takes it to the cross. That's the judgment Jesus makes. Not just a pronouncement, but action. He does it. That's the decision that Jesus makes and what he does about it. That is the step that the Messiah makes towards bringing us a step closer to the perfect harmony of his new creation. The thing that opens the door that nothing else would have opened. Because we cannot even take one step towards what that perfect harmony of a new creation looks like unless Jesus takes care of that one first the guilt of our own sin. So that's what he came to do. I don't know that Isaiah had all that in mind when he gave the title, Wonderful Counselor, to the Messiah. But that's what it is. That's what takes place. That's what the Messiah does. It's the judgment that comes and is completed. 
And we go through this Advent season as a time of waiting again. Just as it was a time of waiting in the day of Isaiah, waiting for that Messiah to come, we are people who are waiting then too. We're waiting for the complete fulfillment of this. We see that Jesus came to do what only Jesus could do, but we also, let's be honest, we see a world that doesn't look like it's perfect harmony yet. We wait for Jesus to come again, to complete this in ways that, again, only Jesus can do. So how do we do that as we wait? Here's where the one last piece of how Jesus gives us a wonderful counselor comes to us. Jesus came and he lived and he died and he rose again and he ascended to heaven. But Jesus, who is perfectly united with the Father, and the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the Trinity, Jesus says, I'm going to send you a counselor, an advocate, one who goes with you, one in whom the Father and the Son are perfectly united as God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That it is the Holy Spirit that continues to counsel the church today. Think about how that works then. How do we yet today live with a Messiah, a God, a Savior, who is and continues to be our wonderful counselor? How does the Spirit guide us today? Just going to name a few things. First of all, we know that the Spirit guides the church today through the Word. It is through God's Word revealed to us that when we are people who spend time reading God's Word, that God speaks, His Spirit speaks to His people through His Word. The Spirit guides, counsels the church through His Word. We also know that this happens through prayer. Not not just the prayers of coming to God with our list of things that we want God to do for us, but back in the summer when we did our whole series on faith practices and we talked about the faith practice of prayer, that there's a significant practice of prayer that's about listening and receiving from God as well. That through prayer, God reveals himself to us through his spirit as a guide for his church today. It comes to us through the giftedness of God's people. That the Holy Spirit is not just an individual gift. But the Bible tells us that the Spirit was given to the church. To a group of people. So God continues to reveal and guide us through the Spirit working through one another. That we have mentors and friends, those who disciple us, and those whom we mentor and we disciple through the Spirit given to us. That God works through the giftedness of a people together to do that. And then finally, the Holy Spirit guides the church today by what it is the Spirit produces in us. The fruit of the Spirit. We talk about that often what it means to bear the fruit of the Spirit. The Apostle Paul talks about that. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That these are the things that are not our checklist of, I got to do all this. These are the things that the Spirit produces in us as a result of the Spirit being 
in us and with us. These are the ways that God continues to be our wonderful counselor yet today. The ways that we see God continuing to work that in and through our lives. So he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Messiah who restored us and our world to himself by his own authority and continues to guide his people today by the presence of his Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. God, thank you. Thank you that you are the one who is the Wonderful Counselor, that you are the one who not only comes with the authority of judgments and decisions, but you're the one who carried it out on our behalf by taking it to the cross. And Lord, we pray that as we live within the counsel of your Holy Spirit, Lord, guide us in that. Keep us rooted in your word. Keep us before you in prayer. Keep us together with one another. And Lord, may you then bear that fruit through us that you always have been, always are, and may continue to always be our wonderful counselor. Thank you for that. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.